some of this. It's the State of Combat Podcast on CBS Sports with me, Brian Campbell, and it is back in your ear hole, all MMA, all the time, with the syringe that is runneth over. Injection on the way of that performance-enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell, the voice that you hear. Looking at the dream team of MMA audio across from me, Brandon Wise, CBS Sports writer, editor, and soon-to-be Hall of Famer, former UFC champion, July 5th. You can see him in Las Vegas on the podium, putting the crown on his head. Crown him! He's the new king! He's the royalty! Always sweet, never sour. It's Sugar Rashad Evans. Broskies, how are we doing this week? What is it? That is the best introduction I've gotten in a long time. Thank you for that. Take that, Bruce Buffer. <laughs> and by the way, if you love you yourself some Sugar Rashad, check out his work on CBS Sports HQ each week, breaking down all things UFC and MMA and beyond. Getting us fired up, by the way, for UFC 239 just a couple weeks away. Be wise. You, you in training camp? You, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? You giving up already? I'm not giving up. I uh, I got bad news yesterday as I was about to leave the house for dinner. I got an email from my gym that they are closing shop on Thursday. Oh, no. It's going to be the last days of classes. So I am now in the market for a new gym to go oh. find. But wow. I'm, hey, still, I'm still hey, doing better look, than look this no, guy. Look no further. I got you. Henry, right. move, I, I, know a guy, I know a guy at a gym that might be able to do something for you, all right? Hey, man, I'm all about it if you can get me in over there. I know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> we don't accept weekend warriors at that gym. I'm sorry, Brandon Wise, all right? I'm not really, really from you, of all people calling me a weekend warrior. <laughs> Appreciate it. There it is. There it is. Uh, hey, Rashad, I got an MMA life boxing-related question here. We're going to get into that super slop that was that uh, BKFC bare-knuckle bonanza there. But you know what pissed me off what after Paulie Malignaggi and Artem Lobov talked for weeks about literally urinating in each other's dead skulls then it's like hugs and bows and respect what happens today when you see john jones because the two of you had one of the juiciest you know relationships blown up rivalries we've ever seen i want to believe as the fan that it's still real to me damn it i want to believe you ain't sending john jones texts that say hey merry christmas bro hope the family's doing well nah you know you know actually uh speaking you know me and john are actually cool right now I know you're disappointed, but it it, it was, uh, you know, it kind of just happened. Um, what was it? It was at a fight one time and I seen him making weight and, you know, I was, uh, I was uh, working in the event and we just started talking and we just kind of talked about what happened before. And ap- after that, everything was, um, it was cool. So every single time we see each other now, we just, we chop it up. I mean, is that because you, you shared the cage and you, you went? Yeah, you- I, I, th- I think, I think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day, you know, once, all the hard things are said, and once the fight is done, you know, you, you kind of establish a bit of res- respect for each other in different ways after the fight is over with, you know. And I think that um, despite the, the results of the fight, uh, I think I think he walked away with that, that fight, you know. Okay, Rashad, he can, he can, he can do something, you know. So, I mean, but, but at the end of the day, it, it's, just, it's just about respect when you're in there and, and you're, you know, sweating it out for however long you're in there with somebody giving it your best. Uh, you got to respect the person who – who, who challenge you, who, who brings you to that place. I guess there's hope for us, Brandon Wise, after our uh, <laughs> epic hashtag Survivor Die Campbell Wise 2019. 
maybe we can. I mean, I think I think I think you guys would be hot with each other for like you know a couple weeks after, but then afterwards, you know, it it dissipate. Especially after I leave him <laughs> face down on the canvas. Oh, stop, Mike Mormile is the referee, our producer, who's suddenly disappearing from our studio here. We need him. He will protect me if I need it. No, 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 no. He's gonna be like the referee in that boxing match this weekend with Charlo and Coda. Oh he's gonna let you. He's gonna let you get G- back up. Jay Nady just gonna. Yeah, you're you're fine. Go ahead, keep fighting. <laughs> All right, before we get into the meat of this show, we got business to attend to. We're Mind you, five-star season is upon us. If you like this show, if you like a little sugar in your diet, if you like to pour some sugar on you, please head on out to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, uh, Match.com, wherever you can find this show. Hit us up with that five-star review and spread it. And believe me, we got a loaded show for you today, not only looking ahead to this weekend's UFC heavyweight war. Wow. Junior DeSantos, Francis Ngannou. From the Great White North, looking back at the week that was, we also have an interesting chat with one championship CEO and founder, Chatri Sidyan Tong. He's going to tell you why you should watch his product and the U.S. expansion that's coming and why bringing a little bit of that Bushido and respect back to the game could be a good thing. But before we mix it up, folks, how about we pause to hear a word from our friends and sponsors. Dig it. And we're back. BCB Dubs and Sugar Rashad coming at you. Hey, Rashad Evans, we mentioned off the top you're going in the Hall of Fame just about a week and a half from now. Are you working on a speech, bro? Are you a little nervous? Are you excited? What, how are we I, feeling? I got a little bit of mixed emotions, you know. I'm very excited, um, you know, but uh, I, I, um, I'm, a, I'm a bit nervous, you know. I, I'm just trying to think, you know, it's such an emotional thing. I just uh, hope I'm able to make it through the whole speech and 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 uh, thank everybody without making a mess of my face and crying all over the place, you know. Because I, as weird as the older I've gotten, the more emotional I've become. It's the weirdest thing ever, man. I used to never be an emotional person, but as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit more sentimental. It's life, man. That's what it's it is. Is that, is that is that is that uh, what it you is? You shed I, the warrior on the outside. You don't need to always be ready to fight. Now you're ready to love. You're ready. That's to, what it is. I'm ready to love. Let hands, that shit out. Yeah, spread that <laughs> seed around. I mean, you know what what uh, what Def Leppard was really saying when they said pour some sugar on me. They, you know, they weren't talking about the sweet stuff. Do you know? You know exactly. Where <laughs> it's time for you to live that life and love. Now we're suddenly we're texting John Jones. We're happy again. Yeah. All right. Not rampage though. If he walks through that door. You're taking that door off the hinges. I'm taking it off. I mean, we we did do a movie together. Which one? Oh, we we just we just did a movie together last year. It's um it's going to be called Boss Level. And uh, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's called Boss Level, and and um it's a Joe Conahan Joe Conahan uh, movie production, and it me and Rampage we play German twins. <laughs> <laughs> What was the what was the the hijinks like on set? This just sounds like oh, a reality man. show. It, it, it was amazing, man. We uh we got to spend uh, a couple months together just clowning. You know, we, we had we had a lot of good laughs. It was funny because at first, you know, uh, you know, you, you still have that tension because you know you fought each other, but then after a while, you know, we started just joking around, and it, and it was uh, actually pretty fun. Are you still so mad at him for getting to play the role of Baracus in the 18 remake? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a flop, that movie, but that's fine. What you know? are you talking about? That was a great movie. I'll get the hell out of here. Did You didn't, see, you didn't grow up watching the show. Did. You didn't grow up in the 80s living that life. You're, what are right, you watching the show. Oh, come on, that's okay. Um, so still you, had Bradley Cooper and Liam Neeson in it yeah, being that, crazy. That thing was a uh, sloppy flop in 
Indeed. Yes. All right. Hey, well, what do you want to talk? You want to talk mixed martial arts? There's been some breaking news flying through lately that is trying to get our attention. What do you got for me, Wes? So after I went to sleep last night, apparently Jose Aldo said, I'm not retiring, guys. I'm going to fight eight more times in the UFC. Yeah, so that was interesting. This story came out during a ESPN Brett Okamoto sit-down video interview that I'm sure took place within the last day and a half. And did you see the the interview? It was like Dana, matter of fact, going, oh, no, no, we already resigned him. It was like a month ago. Yeah, he's going to be here for eight more fights. Um, The whole narrative here was that Aldo was considering a pro boxing turn. He wanted to end his career on his terms. He wanted to go out in Brazil, fight for a title in his last fight. It seemed like there was going to be a power struggle. And now... It's just business as usual here. Uh, is he Was he driving up his price? Did Dana give him an offer he can't refuse? How do you guys sort of read this? I think he, he got an offer he can't refuse. I mean, but but then at the end of the day, I think he's also a smart man too. And, and he knows that, you know, he, he's worked so hard to solidify a spot in the UFC. And by that, I mean, you know, not only with fights, but with pay. You know, as, as you climb up in the ranks and you keep on defending the belt, you know, your, your pay stays at a, at a certain level. So I think that, you know, if he changes and go to another organization or does something different, then he may have to start uh, in in a position where he's not making as much as he is right now in the UFC. Even though he he will have probably more opportunities to to do other things that he can't do in the UFC, it I don't think the money would would even out. And then at the end of the day, you know, there's the stage of the UFC. You know that that if you want to stay a name brand, if you want to stay in the people's hearts and their minds, then you have to be on a platform that that reaches those people. It's interesting because he's only 32, yet it seems like he has had like a career and a half. He's an all-time great. But I don't feel like he ever truly got the love, and I'm not sure how much he was getting paid along that way. But, like, you know, when you're a fighter who doesn't speak English, doesn't have a large profile on this side of the, you know, side of things, and then he didn't get that McGregor rematch right away, which he clearly deserves. So I'm interested to see... Now that he's, you know, I mean, he's a giant star, what the rest of his career can look like. I mean, outside of the sort of flop he had just in May against Alexander Volkanovsky, where he didn't seem to really let it all hang out, the recent run of Jose Aldo fights, guys, have been bangers. I mean, it's been like, as maybe his prime quickness slips, his willingness to just let the hands go has increased. What do you guys want to see out of the second half of Aldo's career? I just want to see him return back to the confidence that he had because I don't think, ultimately speaking, I don't think that he lost too much speed or lost too much of the the, the things that that made him champion, those intangibles. I think you know he's only 33 years old, so I think he still has a lot of those those intangibles, and he hasn't taken a lot of punishment in his career. So I think that he's still there, but I think he's he's taken a big hit in the confidence section, and I think that has been his biggest problem. And that's why we haven't seen him look like how he has looked when he was, you know, defending the belt for so many years in a row. You know, I think when you, when you go out there and you lose a Conor McGregor the way you we, way he lost, that has such a hangover because that goes back to what I say. You know, when you get into the octagon and you have an embarrassing loss, there is a post-traumatic stress that comes from that that can stick with you from fights. Uh, until you get that corrected, if you, if you know, rather that be, you know, you have a sports psychologist there with you to help you, you know, mentally go through the fight actually before you go into the fight. Those are the steps that can help you get over that mental hurdle that I see Josie has. 
So the only thing I would say, though, is that he did kind of do that again after the Conor McGregor fight when he fought Frankie Edgar at UFC 200, and he still looked good. Like, he didn't – he dominated that fight, but he didn't go for the kill like you were talking about, like, going like he used to do. But then it was the two straight losses to Max Holloway where he got dominated. And he looked good in the first couple of rounds, and then all of a sudden he just got dropped and could not survive. I need, but, I need the leg kicking Aldo again, right? B- BW, I need yeah, that confident that, guy that Rashad's talking about, the guy that comes out there to chop you down and take you out. But he did do that against Jeremy Stevens and Renato Moicano, like – the Jeremy Stevens win was vicious. The yeah. body shot KO, like, it's hard to do that these days in UFC. And he crushed Jeremy Stevens with that. And then Moicano, he just overwhelmed him with power and speed. So I think that I hope that the contract extension helps him because I feel like going into that Volkanovski fight, he probably had like the one foot in, one foot out kind of mentality yeah. where he's like, I don't really know if this is going to be it or not. I don't want this to be my last fight. And he wasn't fully focused. So I'm hoping that now he's re- re- reinvigorated and gets another big name fight because he still can draw for you. He's still a big name in the company. And yeah. if he gets the rematch with Conor McGregor or if he gets a rematch against somebody like Korean Zombie who had a big win this weekend, those are still really fun fights that fans are going to want to watch. And for whatever yeah, to- he, totally he couldn't agree. do as a, as a seller at certain points of his career, I think he's always re- represented the sport well. He's always been like a, a fine, true gentleman and warrior. So he's a guy you got to cheer for. You want to see it. And to, the, to speak on that confidence thing, yeah, he looked great in knocking out Jeremy Stevens, but I didn't see a confident performance there. I saw a desperation. And if you read his quotes afterwards, he was as fearful as we were that he may not have had it anymore entering that fight. And I think the way in which he, he finished that knockout and then cried and celebrated sort of sold, told you that. So if he can come back sort of retooled and where he needs to be mentally, then you said it, Brandon. Guys, it's it's the Conor McGregor rematch. And Dana in that interview yeah. told Brett, you know, we're working on his next big fight. This makes so much sense. It's ridiculous. Have him move up to lightweight. Do the Conor rematch. It's a giant event no matter how you frame it. And for Conor, it gives you that soft-ish comeback. Not Look, not a soft comeback, but a soft-ish comeback in comparison to those killers at lightweight that he could be fighting. Tell me I'm wrong. Convince me otherwise. Nah, I, th- I think you hit it right on the head, and I think that's a fight they need to make. And I think it's a perfect fight for both of those guys. I think it, one, brings Jose Aldo back in the framework where, you know what, he gets to uh, exercise some of his demons by getting a chance to beat a guy who stole a piece of his soul. And then on Connor, it gives him the chance to get back into the winning column against a fight that can bring him high profile and make him look like a G once again. Yes. You know what you're going to be wearing that night, Brandon? Break out the red panties. Break out the red panties. (laughs) (laughs) But the only thing is, like, what are you waiting for for Connor? Like, they're just going to keep teasing this out and teasing this out until they actually make a decision? Like... Well, I would have to assume there's there's negotiation issues going on right now, right? Or he would have already been signed to fight Cowboy for you know five months ago, right? I mean, like there's gotta... but we're we're coming up close to being a year out from his last fight already. Like it, it's just kind of frustrating if you're a fan and you are a fan of Connor who wants to see this dude active, and he just keeps stalling out, and we're not getting any closer to another fight. We keep hearing rumors of of people that want to fight him or that are calling him out or in in negotiations, and then nothing happens. But here's the thing about it. There's just something about anticipation. Anticipation draws attention. So I think that, you know, the the more they they draw when he's going to fight, when he's going to fight, I think it's only going to be bigger for when he does actually fight. Because if he was fighting often, then his his shtick will wear off. You know what I'm saying? It would be it would become, ah, yeah, you know, it would become irrelevant if he doesn't back it up like he's been able to do before. I think now 
this break in him not fighting, it kind of lets people forget what happened to him when he fought Habib. That's a you fair know, point. Because, yeah, I, I mean, truthfully, truthfully speaking, it, it would have been hard to put him right back in action and have him do the same tough guy shtick after you just seen him, you know, verbally say like, you know, no mas, no mas in, in, in the octagon. Yeah, we're, we're almost getting back in the hamster wheel and now we're missing him. And it's true. Like MMA is better whether you love or hate that guy with that guy, uh, you know, getting headlines, getting video clicks. So I am sort of missing him. It's weird. Just what was it yeah. a month ago, Brandon? We're like, no more Conor McGregor talking this podcast until he fights. We're sick of it. <laughs> That's it. It's done. It's over. And now he's all the way back to the bank as we can't wait to pay him again to come back and fight. I mean, that's that's not wait. Yeah, that's how it works. That's how it is right there. But we look, we knew, though, over the summer there were or I'm sorry, in the recent months, there was back and forth with him and Dana over. Should he main event? Can you put on a fight without him main eventing? Hey, Dana, you've got a great business history here, bro. But please put this man in a main event or nothing. OK, oh, come on. How dare you You're gonna put this guy in a three round co-main event? I don't, like, I've, I've said it and I'll say it again. If you put on a UFC pay-per-view and you put a Conor McGregor press conference in the main event. It would sell more than most fights. Okay, that's just the reality of what it is. Yeah. This guy is but not Con- a co-main Connor, eventer. Connor's very, very smart because he won't fight on a co-main event. The minute you fight on a co-main event, if you're Conor McGregor, you depreciate your own value. And especially if you have a close fight or you lose that co-main event, then then your then your that status, you know that 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 prime time status, it it gets it gets ruined. It gets ugly. It gets something that people don't really care to see anymore. Rashad, have you ever been in a off, uh, not in the media waves, but behind the scenes, strategic negotiation battle with the UFC over money placement. Has it dragged? Yeah, on? yeah, I have. It was uh, actually when I was um, when I was waiting to fight uh, uh, Shogun for a long time, and then that didn't end up happening. And then I ended up uh, waiting, and then I ended up ended up fighting Phil Davis. It was a long, it was a long stretch. What I want, so it was supposed to be Phil Davis. And then Phil Davis got canceled, and then I fought Tito Ortiz. But the time before that, that's when I was on that break, and we were kind of figuring out like what what I was going to do because I wanted to get another title shot. And you're are you pulling out any leverage you can in that spot? Because it feels like Conor right now is losing a bit of leverage with the new pay per view format and structure with ESPN. But by saying no, you kind of increase your leverage, right? Yeah, you 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 have to uh, you have to use as much as leverage as you can, and, and and you know, truthfully speaking, it's better if Connor says as little as possible and let his managers be the bad guy, because at the end of the day, he can always be like, look, I mean, I I want to fight, and I tell these guys I want to fight, but they they're my managers, and they you know, they're the ones who's fighting for this money, so then it doesn't really make him be the bad guy, you know, and and his relationship with the UFC doesn't get damaged. And then be wise, we got hit with some more breaking news. Talk about welterweights in Newark. Holy crap, am I fired up. What, what, you're about to tell us which fight is coming up, but when I heard this announcement, the feeling inside of me was like... <laughs> so, Robbie Lawler got pulled from this weekend's fight after Tyron Woodley suffered an injury, and he said that he wasn't going to fight anybody besides... Tyron Woolley rematch or a Ben Askren rematch because he won one of the money and two wanted to avenge those two losses. And then a report comes out last night that he's fighting the quote unquote interim champion that still thinks he has a belt, even though they fought for the belt since uh, Colby Covington as the main event in Newark, <laughs> New Jersey on August 3rd. That's They're a sexy verbal, main event. 
verbal agreements in place that sounds always fun to wait and actually see what that means because that sounds like somebody trying to get some leverage, but yeah. Wow, I love the ish out of that fight. We actually have sound from Robbie Lawler directly after signing it. Because if I hurt him, I wasn't taking his neck. What were you going to take? His soul. I think that's what we're all oddly (laughs) hoping for. We try not to cheer as journalists, but Colby Covington's shtick is to make you not like him. That's his intention, his goal. He's trying to make the octagon great again. Wow, this is a tough matchup for him. Because if you look at what Robbie Lawler did against Ben Askren in that sort of weird stoppage loss, uh, he's still got it. He's still going to come in there to break you. He doesn't care if you can wrestle. Yeah, and and that's the thing with Robbie. You know, I watch him. I go into the gym. He trains at H Kickboxing. And and you watch him just, you know, still the same Robbie and, and the fact that, you know, he's he's got the same mentality with, that he does when he's champion. And, um, you know, he knows how to how to bring out the best in his performances. And since he's got that that knee injury as before, he's really started to hone in on his specialty. What makes him what makes him great. And you see him. Like um, he does a lot of team practices, but he does a lot of things on his own as well, too. And I think when you're a fighter like Robbie Lawler, who's been in the game for so long since the old days at um, w- w- in Iowa, you know, w- with Matt Hughes and those guys, he's been in the game for a long time. So he he doesn't beat up his body like the rest of us does. He has his own kind of private thing that he does. And, and he also mix up with the team. But that's just him uh, getting bringing the best out of his game. And Brandon, with all respect to RDA. Colby has not faced a guy this oh man this powerful this this with this type of intentions in, in a striking game. He hasn't, but man, I don't know. I, I found it interesting. I did not realize he was at H Kickboxing with you guys because he was an ATT guy. Yeah. So I'm wondering if there's some resentment there towards Dan Lambert and Colby Covington because Lambert's basically become Colby's manager now. I don't know if there's just like some animosity still there that might be fueling this re- this matchup that could be a rivalry. I man, I don't know. I hope Robbie's good. Like I really do. I want this to be a fun fight. But for everything that Colby does and everything Colby says, he still does get the job done in the ring. Yeah, I, I, I would say this. You know, um, is is terrible as his trash talking is and how cringy it is sometimes <laughs> when he speaks about his chicks and and, and and the way in the way he speaks about it. it, it it doesn't sound right. It just doesn't sound right at all. It sounds forced. But that, I, that, anyways. Um, <laughs> well, let's bring in Mickey Gall real quick. I think that boy's corny. I want to punch his spikes out of his head. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes, I mean, he's cringy, but I would say he can push a mean pace in a fight, and he's relentless with his pressure, and and he can fight. You know what I'm saying? He he can fight. He can fight a bit. So, um, I, I think Robbie uh definitely needs to. You know, bring the pressure forward, but a smart pressure forward, you know, um, the kind of pressure forward that that makes a wrestler get on the back of his heels in anticipation of of worrying about a punch or or some powerful combination that Robbie can throw. Then that way, if he's not moving forward, then he's not going to be served up for the takedown because a wrestler gets only takedowns when they're moving forward. Have we actually seen Robbie dominated by a wrestler in in this in his in the second half of his career though since he kind of put the formula together and became Robbie Lawler UFC champion and destroyer? No, I mean I mean Ben did it after he got his head caved in, but Ben still out-wrestled him and got him into the bulldog choke to finish the fight. 
Yeah, but even even that was off of like a scramble. Yeah, like it was off of like a a scramble, and you know, uh, Ben was able to to grab a hold of that neck. It wasn't like I didn't I didn't see him dominating control physically from a wrestling standpoint. I just kind of seen that he just capitalized on a on a scramble. He hasn't really fought a lot of wrestlers though. That's the thing. We lost to Johnny Hendricks, but I thought you know that fight was really close. And but But I'm saying I'm saying recently though, like since the Woodley fight, he didn't he hasn't really fought wrestlers like that. It's it's look. I'm trying to build to this point ultimately, and you can tell me what you think about this. That if Robbie can stuff Colby's takedowns somewhat consistently, I don't think Colby has the striking to match his wrestling game that somebody like a Johnny Hendricks or somebody like that that's a little more balanced does have. So if you take away a little bit of what Colby does great, do you believe in his stand up game against a Robbie Lawler? I don't. No, I I don't. And and furthermore, to to your point, I like the fact that Robbie is. is has the 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 champ in his in his camp, you know, and and there's no one who can push a pace and no one who can push that takedown pressure like a Kamaru Usman in that weight class. So when you're looking at as far as training, Robbie's gonna have the leg up and already feeling what that pressure feels like with somebody who is better at the same exact game that Colby does because Usman can stand up and strike. Now we're so shot. yeah, go ahead, Brandon. I was going to say, so what do you make of this now? Colby has said he's holding out for the Usman fight, that he thinks he deserves to be the next in line for the title because they gave him the interim belt at that time. Now he's getting a fight against Robbie because seemingly Kamaru says he's going to be out. He'll be back November. What do you think happens here? Do you think that they're going to end up making the Askren Masvidal winner the next guy for Usman or the winner of this fight the next fight for Kamaru? I think it all depends on how both of those fights play out. You yes. know, I think if, 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 you know, some interesting knockouts or interesting steam happens from either of those matchups, and I can see potentially either one of those winners of those fights getting the matchup. But, um, you know, far as Kamaru being hurt, um, he, he does, he does have some injuries that, that he, he's been working through, but, uh, you know, he, he's been, he's been healing up. He's been, he's been in the gym, he's been training and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, he, he did give himself a break. Honestly speaking, I think that if if Colby really wanted to fight him, I'm sure he can make a return before November. <laughs> but here's the reality of the situation. Colby's not really trying to fight him. Colby's not trying to fight him at all. Col- Colby's, Colby's, you know, been been doing everything but entertaining that fight. You know, he, he'll entertain it on, on degrees of extremities. By that, I mean... He says stuff like, oh, I'll fight him at, you know, Madison Square Garden. Oh, I'll fight him here. And the UFC is not going to make up, you know, give him what he wants like that. Sure, he, you know he what that's a, saying? I will cash myself out. That's what that's saying. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what that's saying. That's exactly what that's saying. So that's what I, that's what I think about the whole thing with Colby. So with that said, I, I would probably think that um, I would love to see Kamaru and, and Colby fight. I think it could be good for the sport. It can be good for the division. It can be good for Kamaru Usman. And, and both of those guys got to realize that, you know, a lot of, uh, or at least they need each other. You know, you need a rival in your weight class. You need that, that thorn. You need that, that, that opposition. You know, if, if you know, DC, John Jones, me, John Jones, uh, you, you need to have that kind of me rampage. That's what makes people remember your name. Yeah, I mean, where would Sean Salmon be without your foot? People remember those <laughs> rivalries. Thank you. But you nailed it. UFC's in a good spot by essentially now they have two number one contender fights back to back, and they can essentially pick who looked the best. Because Brandon Colby lost whatever advantage that interim title gave him 
when he wasn't, and this is my take, when he wasn't willing to be the company man when UFC snapped their fingers and said, okay, you're the interim champ, we need you to fight Woodley on this date, back when Tyron was still champion, and Colby, what, twice said, no, hold on, I'm recovering, why don't we do it the next month? We've learned to this point that the interim titles are only important when UFC wants them to be. So that's that's how you that deal with that, brother, all right? All right. Put that in just, your pipe and smoke it wise. Okay? Just let just let Robbie take a boomerang into the ring and throw it at him, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, okay, let's just put an open weight match him and for Doom. I'd be I'd be definitely yes, definitely yes. down with that. All right, uh, let's get into what happened this weekend. We don't have to go uh, piece by piece here, but it was an interesting weekend. And guys, you you saw a lot of this rhetoric online. Saturday night had a Bellator card from London with matchups we kind of had to pay attention to. A UFC card from Greenville, again, with matchups we kind of had to pay attention to. But tell me if I'm wrong. My timeline only cared about the bare-knuckle bonanza that was the gas station hot dog of BKFC6 over at the Tampa Fairgrounds, brother. Plenty of good seats still available. That's all anybody cared about. Really? I'm serious. How the hell did that get top billing on a Saturday night of fights? Hey man, let's talk to our intrepid reporter, Rashad Evans, who was there at whoa, the scene. Whoa, whoa, I was not told of this. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, an exciting event. And and here's the thing about it. It was um, it was a big crowd. I was surprised about the crowd and, and just the fans in general. But a lot of exciting fans came, came to see those fights. And uh, a lot of those fights, they did not disappoint. They did not disappoint. Um, I would say the main event, it did not uh, – Go is everybody, everybody expected didn't live up to the hype in a sense that uh, it just wasn't that that brawl that you expected from all the trash talk like you said earlier. But um, I, I thought in that fight, I thought Artem looked really well. I mean, to 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 go and and to fight, you know, a boxer, uh, you know, and with the accolades that Paulie has because Paulie's no no slouch in the boxing in the boxing game. But the way that um, Artem fought him and the way that Artem put his pressure on him was able to just put. Paulie into a defensive mode where he threw little to no punches with his right hand and was only uh, he he had some pretty good evasive defensive techniques. But um, outside of his defensive responsibility and moving away and stuff like that, he didn't really throw anything besides a jab. Well, let's talk and about the scoring. All right, let's let's get yeah. right into it right now. Boxing is full of shit, man. I used to love Assume it. So is bare knuckle boxing, apparently, Paulie. Because Rashad, maybe I'm just a boxing guy at deep in the darkness of my heart, but uh, Paulie won that fight. Even you with, thought Paulie won the fight, even with not not trying to attack. But look, I, they, okay, but there's a debate in here. Okay, am yes. I judging bare knuckle fighting by boxing scoring rules and? Is bare knuckle fighting, which hasn't really been explained to us, does it have a different judging criteria? Should we favor aggression more? I think Artem did a lot of really good things, and one of those things was actually bringing craft, which forced Paulie, who probably thought this guy's going to run headed first into my fist all night, and then Paulie realized, oh my god, this guy's actually trying to be a little crafty here, and I think Paulie made a bad decision where you talk all that trash and you go in there and you don't fight, you're just jabbing. But with that said, I don't see how you get the math that has Artem winning that fight. Well, here's the thing, though. I think that when it comes down to pressure, it, it's you have two minute rounds. All right, so you you that that already that already says to you right now, this sport is about action because it's only two minutes to get the job done. So that means that one of the scoring criteria has to be pressure. So based off of that alone, I think that Artem brought the pressure 
And he was trying to engage in the fight that he talked about. But it's really hard when you have a world-class boxer with world-class evasive moves to get away. I'm, I mean, that's I'm, I'm going to be honest. You know, um, it didn't look like Paulie was really trying to engage like how he spoke about. And then furthermore, before the fight even started, it's not no one is, has talked about it. I haven't heard any reports about it. But before the fight started, they all rushed to the back room because evidently <laughs> Paulie had uh, an illegal rap on his on his right hand or whatever hand it was. And um, that to protect made his a, his notoriously broken knuckles or to or was this an illegal like it act? was it was not it was not legal. And the fight was almost scrapped because of it from the report that I heard. But they By report, do you wreck. mean Rumble Johnson's Instagram feed? <laughs> well, I mean, that was that was one. But but uh, uh, a lot of people that was that actually went back there. That was part of the, the whole thing came Your back sources? and was like, yeah, the Your sources. sources. Like, well, hey. I know there was a problem with like a uh, a cream or a rub, a, a non-scented cream. I don't know. It got a little a little crazy on that broadcast. They're talking, you know, well, Artem's got too much rap on. Oh, now Paulie's got a uh, a lubrication on there that we don't. You know, I, whatever. I don't know. It's, it's, here's what I liked about the, the whole event in general, though, because, you know, it it uh, it offers something different. You know, it's not MMA. It's not MMA. And and it's it's not boxing. And it's truly not either one of these sports when you when you from a spectator's point of view. So it brings a different kind of feeling when you when you're watching it. So I, I like that aspect of it because it, it was something I, I'd never seen before. And I was very intrigued at uh, just just the speed of the fight, you know what I'm saying? It was, it was a different kind of speed just because of the simple fact that you, sometimes you miss the knockout. Sometimes you miss that punch that caught the guy that sent him to the canvas. You need to have to watch it on replay because, you know, with, with no gloves on, it doesn't take much, you know, it doesn't take much, uh, of a hit to really put somebody out. Yeah, so in, it, in, indeed. By the way, to fix any, uh, wrap or lubrication issues in a bare knuckle match, do you know how you fix that? Let him fight bare knuckle. What the hell is going on here, people? All right, I want to counter you, though, what you just said, okay, on BKFC. And look, you were there, so you had a much different yeah. taste than we did. I have fears for this organization now. Tell me if I'm crazy here. Uh, Mel Naji Lobov, and by the way, I like the tongue-in-cheek, what they did on the posters and the T-shirts saying the biggest fight in combat sports history. It was clearly the biggest fight in modern bare-knuckle BKFC history, right? Those other two organizations that tried to start fell apart quickly. Sorry, Sean Merriam, and lights out indeed. So here's the deal. Um, you're selling filth. You're selling the bottom of the food chain. You're selling gross sex. You're selling street fights, okay? They're trying to compare the quick evolution of this sport to what MMA went through, UFC in the 90s. But there's a real difference here. Yes, UFC was originally promoted as come see barbarians kill each other but in reality it was the gracies behind the scenes trying to push their jujitsu and trying to teach fans that look this type style of fighting could beat that style of fighting but the difference i think in allowing it to evolve to where it did and i think rashad you can appreciate this is that mixed martial arts the specific martial arts that make it up those are all have real craft and art forms to them we all respect karate judo taekwondo Amateur wrestling. There's an art form to it. Do you know what there's not an art form to, Rashad? Bare-knuckle fighting, okay? Do you know why people watch bare-knuckle fighting? Because a lot of us were raised in aggressive environments. Ghettos or me, a factory town. 
where that was still a true currency. There were schoolyard fights. At my dad's job, when people didn't get along, he would tell me stories. They would straight up go in the back and fight. That's how it worked. So we still love the idea of paying to see something grimy and gross. Do you know what I'm seeing watching BKFC 6 in comparison to watching their first card? I'm seeing people evolving and actually trying to win these fights with boxing strategy. Putting lipstick on the pig. If I want to see defensive boxing... I will watch boxing. When I pay my money to see BKFC, I want to see hot friggin' grossness. It's like this, Rashad. There are people, I'm not saying you guys, I'm not saying Brandon, I don't know his personal life. I'm not trying to get inside of it. But there are people that watch adult films in their free time, right? Right? Yeah. Do they watch it for the cinematography? Or do they fast forward through any talking scene to get to the business? (laughs) Rashad, if you are David Feldman of BKFC, and by the way, you have created something here, I would get in the ear of any of these guys who are not just there for the payday, who are taking it serious and say, can we stop jabbing? Can we stop getting out of the way of punches? Maybe can we make that fighting surface the size of an enlarged phone booth? And can we just bang? Because the only way this sport is going to become something is if they bang. You go to a bare-knuckle fight to see car wreck faces afterwards. You want to see guys with tattoos on the side of their head making each other bleed. I don't want to see defensive boxing. I can well, watch see, boxing for that. Then if, then if you And if you don't want to see defensive boxers, then don't let boxing go into it. And that's just the truth. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be nasty. But at the end of the day, here's the reality. Boxers are going to box. They're going to box. They're going to they're going to use their skills that they've been trained to do. They're not going to go in there and just be and just throw it to the wind like you see a lot of the guys with the MMA backgrounds. Because from the like a lot of MMA guys will fight exactly the way that you're talking about, and you've seen them, and that's what made it, it somewhat interesting to watch as as it has grown thus far. But a lot of times you see a lot of these boxing guys going there. They're used to a different kind of fight. The, the, in, in a boxing match, the first couple of rounds are only feeling out rounds. And you've seen that evident the, the, way, the way that Paulie was fighting. So I think if, if, if you make it and you put a lot of like those high-profile boxes in there, yeah, they're not going to go in there and, and exchange like you see a lot of MMA guys. Because for one, they're used to doing this, but they're used to doing it with gloves on. So imagine for them like what a mental hurdle that is for them. For us, MMA – it's just a short leap because we're practically punching with no gloves on anyways. Yeah, and you, you can clinch, and so I, li- I like the rules, by it, the way. You can dirty yeah. box and clinch. I like it. Yeah, so so for us, it kind of favors more of what we do versus what they do. You know, So I think that when it comes down to it, I think that if you want to see that, then sign less boxers. I just think it's hard to imagine that there becomes skill in this because I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm one consumer, but I oh, don't there's... think people want skill in something like this. You're paying for it because you want that UFC one feel, right? Yeah, but there's there's strategy to it though. Like that's what I realized. Like when like when you're sitting there and you're watching these guys go at it, there's a strategy to it. There's a strategy. Like for instance, you don't throw hooks, straight punches, and then you start to see why. A lot of their bare knuckle guys back in the day. Remember how the back in the day guys, the, the old pugilists used to have their knuckles turned up when they fight? Well, the reason why they had them turned up when they fight is because when you keep them turned up when you fight, you can keep them all, all out there extended and land a lot of punches and bunches. And, and that's the thing about it. It's about being first and it's about landing that straight punch. The hook punches, they may hit harder, but you take a chance of breaking your hands. And then that way, what are you going to do with a broken hand? 
So a lot of it is the straight punches. That's that's the strategy that I've seen. Brando, along, I, mean, I mean, Brando, uh, we can sit here and talk about uh, which of their sponsorships in the ring was our favorite, whether it was Hooters <laughs> or Mary Jane's Glass Company or Glass whatever. But that ring's too big for what for what they're trying to accomplish. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, it's just weird because the way that they start each round is that they put them in that quote unquote small phone booth, but then they just let it go from there and extend out and spin around. So, yeah, I think you're right that they do need to small like make it a little bit smaller. I mean, I don't know, dude. I was entertained by it. I don't care what you say. I know that you had really weirdly high expectations for something that we knew was going to be a hot garbage fest. But <laughs> like, I think you're just mad because you thought Polly won and you like Polly a lot. So oh, wow. I don't. You're trying to get in my head on the on my <laughs> <laughs> on your analyst, huh? But Polly, like, I don't care what you say, Polly. Like. I could see your skull post fight. No, like, no, look, Paulie didn't go for the win. Let's be honest. I thought he won, he but a, he didn't go for the win. And he had a giant like he can't say what all he wants about it. he only got hit by one clean punch. Your face tells a different story, bud. Yeah. Like, don't tell don't come in here with that. You you know that that dude could not survive in the MMA world. Like that's to me, that's what I'm le- I'm learning from it is because uh, look, I, he I could not know, take those punches. I agree with you. That was a bad move for Paulie, but hopefully he got paid very well. It brought attention to the brand. I'm all for maybe not specifically Chris Lieben. I could use him to retire, but I'm all for guys who are looking for one more payday, and that's their fighting style. MMA names that are faded want to go in there. Look, it'll bring attention to it. I'm even all for making new stars within that. I just need these stars to bang. Speaking of yeah. banging, uh, Dakota Cochran, who beat uh, uh, Chris Lieben, oh. he found out he had an acting career. You ever see any of his titles, Brandon? Really? Really? <laughs> All right. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. All right, then. That's wow. Speechless. All right. Uh, we had a UFC Greenville card. Uh, what, what jumped out to you guys over the weekend? What do we see here? Um, the Korean zombie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a minute and a half, got that work done. Wasn't even, it was 58 seconds. 58. That was a 58 seconds. Yeah. Oh, maybe that clip I watched in a minute and a half. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big time win for him to, to reestablish. Cause we can't forget in that five round classic in Denver, 25th anniversary card, uh, he looked great. He had that fight won until the 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 miraculous elbow with a half second left got him out of there. This is a big win, man. I mean, Mokado coming in could do some things, and Chan Sung Jung didn't give him a chance to do anything. Yeah, you know what's so impressive to me about his performance was the simple fact that you're not watching him take so much punishment. You know, in, in order before to see Korean Zombie fight, you knew he was going to take a lot of a lot of punishment, but. Uh, he's showing that he's getting a lot better in his last few fights. He's he's finishing. He's he's getting some finishes, and he's not he's not taking that punishment inside the octagon. And that shows that his growth in the sport is, is is on a high trajectory. You know, even the fact that he he was able to outstrike a Moicano who's got that reach on him and catch him with the overhand right shows that he's got patience and he and he's got some skills in those hands. You know, that that overhand right was timed perfectly and came right off of that jab. And uh, hit with some devastating power, and that's another thing you don't see that kind of power at that weight class. So he's he's definitely uh, showing some great improvement. I don't think I've ever seen an overhand right do that to somebody's face before. The sound that it made and the turn that Moicano's skull did was just unbelievable. Besides because... Sage Northcutt in one championship, who had his face basically pulled <laughs> off. Besides that, right. But the duck underneath to land that overhand right was just unbelievable. And to just go off of what you've been talking to us about for the last few weeks. To come off of a devastating knockout the way that he did in last November mm-hmm. against uh, uh, Yair Rodriguez, where he got knocked, it seemed like he got Coming knocked back. unconscious. And 
that could have messed up his 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 psyche and how he feels going into there. But to just come back and just perform that way, and I just think that that just speaks to how strong of a person he is because he didn't let something like that affect him at all. He was so happy after the fight. He was just bouncing around the ring because he got that win. I I hope that they start trying to market him more and try to make him the big name that he really should be. Well, them. I think he is marketable. I think like you know calling him. I mean, they're calling him the Korean Zombie full-time as his name. You're seeing that on all the lower thirds, TKZ in the house. Um, you mentioned mental toughness. I, I just think, you know, guys that come from Asia, like not to regionalize here, but but they just seem to be have this mental toughness that is just different. This guy has such a marketable upside. I know this is only one win in a row, but we know his history. God, he has a win over Dustin Poirier. How crazy would it be to fast-track TKZ into a title shot because no. of that marketability. Not next, but I mean, is he one win away? I, I think I think if if he gets the matchup against a Jose Aldo, like you were, like we were speaking about earlier, and he gets a win over Jose Aldo, then I think it'd be pretty hard to de- to deny him that spot as the number one you know challenger. And I, I like him in that position because for one, it uh you know it we have the Asian market, you know the Asian market that they're going after, and I think that you know having a star. Uh, like the Korean Zombie, who goes out there and give the fans what they want, uh, I think he he can be huge for them. The only thing I would say is that we've been talking about how deep lightweight is. I think featherweight's just as deep at this point. You've got so many guys that are just on the rise right now. You got Alexander Volkanovsky, who just got the win over Jose Aldo last uh, month ago. You've got Zabit Magomed Sharapov, who's coming True. up, and he is going to be a stud. Zabit is a stud. I yeah. mean, you've got him. You've got. Um, I mean, Frankie Edgar's fighting for the belt this month, next month. He's still hanging around as a name. You've just got so many yeah, guys Ortega, right now that are hanging he's, around as a name. He's hanging around as a fighter. Frankie's tough, man. You don't think, uh, oh, wow. You don't think, yeah, it's getting juicy in here. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, okay. go, go ahead. Frankie go ahead, is man. tough. No, he okay. is tough. He's only been knocked out once, and it was sh- a shocking knockout from Brian Ortega because you don't expect somebody, a, a submission specialist, to do that. But for him to get a title shot immediately off of just beating. Cub Swanson in a comeback fight after that TKO loss, I I didn't agree with giving him that decision. I thought it should have been a Volkanovski, it should have been a Zabit, maybe a Brian Ortega rematch. I thought any of those fights would make sense. I just didn't understand giving him giving Frankie the shot immediately. This seems like a cash out for Frankie. Uh, I mean, I mean, Frankie's he's defend your boy. I think he's, defend I think he's pulled. I think he's proven himself in in uh, multiple. You know, in, yeah, in, he has in, in multiple ways, but. Uh, I, I do hear what you're saying about, you know, having him to, uh, you know, have another fight out the outside of that. But I think that, you know, when you look at what just a body of work that that Frank has been able to do, I don't think there's anybody in the weight class who 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 can, you know, who stands up to that. I think when it comes down to it, I think that he's put in so much work that I think that his name alone brings a kind of notoriety that you want to see a championship fight have. I think that a lot of other fighters that you mentioned, they are good. They are tough. But at the end of the day, they still need to do a little bit of legwork in a department of bringing the fans to to, to recognize them. And I, I think that's what it comes down to more than anything. I get all that. I do. But at some point, if you're UFC, you can't have Jose Aldo and Frankie Edgar holding the belt forever. No, you got to get not, these new guys in there. Yeah, I, I, and, and they are. They are. But you know, you, you got you to gotta remember, you know, Guys like Zabit, they're they're you know, they're they're getting their their just dues, but it's mm-hmm. just you know, people are starting to to catch up to oh wow you know they're really excited. Zabit does all kinds of things off the cage and 
you know, um, you know, and, and the guy who just beat Jose Aldo. It, it's here's my thing. It's like this. These guys are good and these guys are definitely stars of the future, but they're not there yet. They're not there yet to the point where they're going to they're going to make someone buy a pay-per-view to be like, oh, I got to catch this guy fight. You know, I love don't it. Think Rashad's sticking up for our generation of watch. Yeah, take that. <laughs> oh, it's cool. Hey, speaking of body of work and featherweight, are we burying the lead on not having the discussion Regarding Brian Ortega, we know that Halle Berry has signed him to train her personally one-on-one for her upcoming movie. Rashad, what? you understand the world. You know how things I, work. Wait, wait, Did he wait, smash? Wait, be, wait, like, bring wait, it out. Wait, be uh, be 100% Halle Berry, honest. Brian Ortega? Did he smash? I need to oh, know. Oh, okay? 1,000. I, <laughs> yeah. He's her type, too. He is her type. Wow. Yeah. No more yeah, I, I, I think so. No more dick pills, indeed. Thank you. Thank you, John Jones. Wow. All right, then. Um, yeah, look, I, I think, by the way, just to round it up, Rashad nailed it. Um, these days, you can be marketable and you can get fast-tracked to a title shot. We know that. But the connection to the Asian market with Korean Zombie, I would not be surprised if he cracked that code quicker than you think. Can you imagine Max Holloway and Korean Zombie headlining somewhere oh, yeah. across the globe? That'd be That could be interesting. Anyway, um... Elsewhere on that Greenville card, guys, did you see this opener, this middleweight bout between Mini DC, Duran Wynn, a <laughs> former Golden Boy MMA star, against Eric Spicely? 15 minutes of fury? I don't know if you guys had your TV turned on that early, but good lord. I did. I thought that fight was so much fun. You want to talk about phone booth fighting? Those dudes did nothing but stand in between each other and just throw haymakers. I hope that they was... made more than like 4000 for that fight. Please tell me they did. I didn't see the <laughs> Yeah, but no no, they won a, they got fight of the night. They got 50 Gs each. Nice. And uh and our um Spicely tweeted out afterward. He's like, "Yes, I needed this. I was at minus 237 on my bank account. Yep. This is awesome." Been there, been there indeed. Been there indeed. Uh anything else jump out at you on this card? I mean, Violent um, Bob the, Ross had a nice finish there. The guy that knocked out the guy Greg Hardy was supposed to be Alan Crowder. Alan Crowder. Yeah, I can't I can't say the guy's name because there's just too many letters in it. Jairzinho Rosenstruck. Is that close? That's close, right? Close, that's close enough. Yeah. Okay. That was a crazy weird finish in nine seconds, second fastest ever in heavyweight history in UFC. But outside of that, not nothing really moved me. I kind of like the win from Andrea Lee here over Montana De La Rosa. You know, I'm a big MDR fan. Is that what we're calling her? <laughs> um, I think but you just um. Made that up. Yeah, but uh, Angela Lee's on quite a run here. You, you're a believer in her yet? Anybody? I mean, I know she nah. had the bad headlines with her husband, and we're, and we're putting that behind her. But as a fighter now, focus on what matters, not tattoos anymore. What matters, she can fight. Yeah, she can fight. She can fight. I mean, the the, the, the tattoos with the, the whole situation. But outside of that, yeah, I mean, she she that's not her. She can fight. She's good. All right. All right, then. <laughs> Um, speaking of fights and speaking of things I'm upset about, um, hey, Bellator, can you get your ish together? Because you had a card this weekend in London that I cared about. I had to know about guys like James Gallagher, Semtex Daily, Melvin Manhoff, for, for Lord's sakes, and Gegard Mousasi. Yet they somehow split this into two or three different cards, made it impossible to watch, said parts of the card are going to air live on DAZN, parts will air live on Paramount, parts, including the most important parts, you can't watch it all in the States. You can only follow our Twitter account. What's going on here? I mean, what? I can't even find video it's, of Lovato. You know what it is? You know what it is? It, it's too much trying to be like the UFC, all right? <laughs> that's, that's what it is. It, because the UFC gets away with it, they think that they can do it, but there's no, there's no, uh, y- y- 
the UFC's trained people to be, you know what I'm saying? They, they train their, their, their consumers to be, to watch the shows the way that they want them to watch the shows. Bellator hasn't done the same thing. I, I just don't understand how you have two partnerships with TV companies in Paramount Network, DAZN, and your own streaming service. But yet you can't get anything live to us. Yeah, guys, in it's 2019. I, I don't or, care. What by the it, way, they couldn't watch it live in England. Did you know that? I did. I saw the people complaining on Twitter. It's 2019. I don't care what you are presenting. It needs to be live, guys. When the right. when the Olympics are in Australia, we gotta wake up at 3 a.m. That's the deal, right? You want to watch the uh, British Open in golf? You're waking up early. That's how this ish works. Watch the World Cup one time. They don't they don't put it on at eight Eastern. All right. How the heck could you tweet out videos of what's happening in these title fights and expect us to care when we cannot watch it live? I don't even care if you're like, if you pay three dollars extra, you can watch it live. At least people would have the option. What is going on here? Is nah, the money I, too good from British TV not to put this live on the states? But they didn't have it live there in British uh, TV either. I can't. I, I can't do it. I yeah, Bellator, figure this out, please, because there's no reason that fans cannot watch your stuff live. It, it doesn't make any sense. And then I couldn't even go and watch the highlights on the Zone this morning that I wanted to see. I only could see the stuff that they showed on the Zone. I couldn't see the Musasi fight. Ready for fulldisclosure.com here? I tried to watch the Musasi Lovato fight after the fact, right? I was watching other things like bare knuckle ish on Saturday night. <laughs> I cannot find it. I'm on the zone. It's not there. I'm on my DVR on my TV. It's not there. I tried to hack into some, uh, site that's going to give my, uh, laptop an STD. And guess what? It's not there. I'm trying to watch your product. Okay. Thank you. Wow. All right. Are we good now? Did anyone see it, by the way? Anyone see Musasi Lovato? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see it. I missed it. Well, he, <laughs> lost, his, <laughs> he lost his middleweight title, the Rafael Lovato Jr. Dis- majority decision over five rounds. Um, this can't be good for Musasi. I know he's had like 60 fights. I know he's an all-time veteran here who's been around, fought everywhere around the world, somehow is only 33. But when you look at this Bellator run, and he was a big signing, guys, I thought he lost that debut against Alexander Slomenko and got a gift decision when his eye was uh, was messed up. Credit to him, he dominated Carvalho to win that belt, that middleweight title. The Rory matchup was one that was always going to favor him. But to come out and lose the title here, ugh. Yeah, so from what I gathered that I saw on Twitter, this was a lot like the Rory-Neiman-Gracie um, fight where Lovato was taking Musasi to the ground a lot and he was controlling the fight with his ground game and wrestling off the cage. But every time that they were standing up, Musasi was killing him with his striking. And I guess that's just how he was able to get the decision from enough of the from two of the three judges where they saw him doing enough on the ground to score it for him. But to me, this just sets up just to go back to what we were talking about. This sets up a chance for a rematch. Like Mm -hmm. you're going to have to run something like this back, especially somewhere that people can actually see it because (laughs) you need you need a name champion like Lovato is a cool story and all. But he's really not moving the needle for Bellator. And. You need to. You need Gegard to get this win Give back. Give me Gegard and Machida, please. Okay, can we? Can we do that already? Give me Gegard <laughs> and Fedor, guys. That's not a, a crazy idea. It's a that's really a great, bad. That's I, a great. It's that? a really bad idea. Wait, oh. Fedor and who? Fedor against Gegard. Why? Why would you do that? All right, how how fat is Fedor going to be for that fight? Look, you, you make it a heavyweight. Look, Brandon. Do you know what people want? They want to go back to the old days where it's little guy against big guy and we just find out who has it. So you got it. If, if you're, if your big guy is a wash guy and you put him in there against a little guy, it's like when Pacquiao fought De La Hoya. People want to see what it's going to look like. 
Yeah, people want to see what it's going to look like when I beat the crap out of you. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, look, here, here's, here's, here's what I'll say to that. Dan Henderson beat Fedor. Great fight. And Dan Henderson is smaller than Gegard. Is he? Yes. Okay. I, I mean, I get it, but that was also Fedor in shape. Like Gegard's if all right, let's let's play this theory out where you guys are right and they actually do do this fight. You said do do, by the way. You gotta get that. <laughs> Gegard's just gonna run around the ring and just avoid him the whole time and then just pop him in right. with shots like Paulie. And that's did. the entertainment of can Fedor take him down and then if he's on top of him with that weight it'll <laughs> Fedor it might... take him down? Are you kidding me? <laughs> really, Ryan. Really. It's it's not that absurd of a thought, is it? Yes, it is. <laughs> Fedor is 250 pounds and shows it. He's not taking anybody to the ground, man. He is in there to throw his rocket punch, hopefully get a knockout and get his paycheck and get home. All right. All right. I mean, you made a fair point. He has, it's not like his, uh, he's the king of ground and pound, but to get to the ground and pound, you're right. He hasn't been a shooter of late. And um, (laughs) yeah. All right. Imagine if Fedor ever got like in shape, in shape. I mean, like he's like, he's an all time great. I think. At the he's, upper room he's table. He's 45. He's 45, okay, I'm Brian. not talking about now, all right? Okay, I'm not <laughs> talking about now. I have him at the upper, upper table, right? Of, yes. of the Of the John Jones, the GSP, the Anderson Silva, the Demetrius Johnson, and Fedor. All right? Yes. But, it's, it's, but and I know you can say at times in Fedor's run he fought guys who weren't that great, but that killer run you cannot disappoint and argue with. No, nah, you can't. It, but they, they, he was never, like, in shape, in shape. He always had the Russian pooch. What if we ever saw, like, <laughs> jacked, juiced, prime, prime Fedor? Or maybe he was juicing anyway. It was pride. What am I talking about, right? I mean, when, when, when Fedor was on, like, Fedor was on. Like, back in the day, I used to watch Fedor videos all the time, watching how he throws his punches, watching the angles that he threw them at. I, I, I used to devour anything Fedor. I was a huge fan of Fedor. Um, I, I think during his time, I think there's nobody that, you know, I think he, he did the thing. You know, I think there was nobody that could compete with him. Do you Just, think he's the greatest heavyweight of all time? Yes. 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 Without a doubt. Take that, Tim Sylvia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, big win for Paul Daly over Eric Silva. You want to talk about fireworks and fun? That was probably the fight of the night. I mean, that was that was a yes. that was a good time. Was... Decision win, but Daly had plenty of highlight reel strikes. James Gallagher getting another decision win. The the uh, poor man's Conor McGregor, and uh, that's all I'm going to talk to you about <laughs> on the Bellator card. Uh, before we uh, look ahead and break down what else is going on in the world of MMA, let's talk. To the CEO and founder of One Championship, it's Chatri Sidyan Tog in your ear holes coming at you right now. Enjoy. Hey, how's it going, man? Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, man, I'm p- pumped to talk to you for some time. One Championship making some big moves in the MMA space. And Chatri, let's jump right into it. What a time to be alive in 2019, especially in the American landscape. But you guys are really trying to crash this party. <laughs> um, I don't know about Crash the Party, um, but we definitely want to uh, make a big splash uh, in the U.S. And um, we believe that we have uh, the right product, the right brand, and the right values with the right heroes um, and the right stories uh, for us to make a big splash in the U.S. And uh, I think that the American fans are looking for something different. And I would say that our products 
and our approach is 180 degrees opposite that of UFCs. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. It's a different feel. It's a different taste. You started this company, one championship in 2011. We got to know you guys a bit on the American side. I think Ben, ben Askren's that acquisition was a big part of that in sort of getting noticed to the casual American MMA fan. But now you're making giant moves. And I've heard you use quotes like, we don't sell fights, we build heroes. So how do you sort of... Oh, man, Brian, I, Brian, man, you, you, you did your homework. That's music to my ears. That's exactly it. Well, explain that. Explain what that really means from the standpoint of, of grabbing fans who love UFC but maybe looking for something a little bit more different. Right. So when you sell a fight, you um, create controversy, hatred, anger. You don't really focus on the stories or the lives or the values or the character of the, uh, of the athletes. You focus on that moment, um, whether it's, it's, it's taking a dolly and breaking a bus or shoving somebody or swearing at their mother. Um, and it's a very service level connection that draws uh, quick attention. But the fans don't end up um, investing a lot of their uh, heart, minds and souls into the athletes. They're more into that fight. One championship, our approach is to build heroes, and so we tell the backstories, we delve into the life, the character, um, the families, you know, um, the reasons for why um, they're competing, um, and their overall trajectory through life, so overcoming poverty, adversity, uh, tragedy, and whatnot. And so our approach is values, heroes, and stories. So we want heroes who... Um, exemplify the values of integrity, humility, honor, respect, courage, discipline, compassion. And we're looking for heroes who can inspire entire nations. Um, and stories, we're, we're, we're um, unearthing uh, stories that um, ignite the world. Um, and if you look at the formula of values, heroes, and stories, it's very much similar to the Olympics. Like Olympics, um, what they try to do is celebrate the very best of humanity. So Olympics has boxing and karate, taekwondo, wrestling, um, which are all the baseline martial arts uh, 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 for mixed martial arts. Um, but you don't ever see anyone complaining about them. It's because Olympics really celebrates the best of humanity through values, heroes, and stories. And so we believe that this formula, uh, you know, not only goes more widespread in terms of mainstream um, and the masses, but also a deeper connection between the fans and our athletes. Um, much the same way Dwayne The Rock Johnson is a hero. And so my barometer of success, you know, when I talk to, you know, when I hold our monthly company meetings, I say, look, um, when a child puts a poster of, our, of one of our heroes in his or her bedroom, um, I want parents to know that they are safe, in safe hands with our heroes because their kids are looking up to people who genuinely are great role models for society, who have... Um, not only incredible values and character, but who have overcome incredible adversity or tragedy or poverty or whatnot, and that these kids can be inspired um, to be the greatest version of themselves, the greatest version of themselves, whether it's to be a doctor, a nurse, a teacher, a CEO, whatever it is, not necessarily to be a professional fighter. So, you know, for one championship, we, we always say, you know, our genre might be martial arts, but our platform is humanity. Uh, it's a very, very different approach. Again, I said it's 180 degrees opposite of what um, you know, our Western counterparts uh, do. They sell fights. We build heroes. 
I love that breakdown, and there's certainly a lot of uh, honor and, and respect built in that. I mean, we had one of your big signees, Sage Northcutt, on this show, and he said, you know, one of the big decisions for him in making the move from UFC to one was that sort of bottom line of respect for the fighters, for the art form and all that. So I guess the sort of devil's advocate question to pin back on you is, in the Western world, in the American fight-selling world, whether it's boxing, MMA, pro wrestling, you know, the foundation is built on on grudges, on disrespect. How can sort of a model of Bushido and integrity sell in the States? Right. So, you know, I personally think that the entire world is exhausted with so much negative energy. So if you look at, you know, the media, it's always about, you know, um, negative stories of, of war or trade wars or, you know, um, crimes and stuff like that that cause a lot of clicks. Um, social media is full of trolls and hatred and anger. And I always tell my team that I want us to be a beacon of positivity, a beacon of hope. Um, and the reality is this, you know, MMA is an American word. Martial arts, Asia is the birthplace of martial arts. And the biggest misconception about martial arts is that it's about fighting and violence. Actually, martial arts, and I've been doing it for 35 years, and I train every day, even to this day, for Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And it's about, you know, martial arts here in Asia, it's about unleashing the human potential through thousands of hours of training. We inherit, you know, a warrior spirit to conquer adversity in life. We inherit integrity, humility, honor, respect, courage, discipline, compassion. And here's the thing, Brian. When I look at our TV ratings or when I look at our digital and social media metrics, um, you know, not only are, the, are we the world's uh, fastest growing global sports property, I mean, just to give you perspective, you know, our video views in 2014, just four years ago, was 300,000 for the whole year. And then in 2018, we crossed 5 billion. So wow. no other sports property has that level of trajectory of growth. So I believe that our, our formula of values, heroes, and stories is resonating. And we see it across many different countries across Asia. And so we're very confident that, you know, uh, the American fans are, are going to have a, a big treat and, and see something completely new, um, a whole different, fresh perspective on martial arts and, um, and real heroes, as opposed to um, always watching, uh, you know, the negative energy that um, the Western global promotions put out. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. This is a, a new, fresh perspective. And certainly you guys made giant headlines within the last year, signing the deal with Turner and Bleacher Report Live, bringing in very recognizable U.S.-based MMA names with the likes of Eddie Alvarez, Demetrius Johnson, Sage Northcutt. Hey, I popped when you signed Sexy Yama. Believe that. But what's next? Because I think if U.S. fans are going to say, okay, we know about you, we want to see you now, how close are we to a full U.S. expansion? Um, well, we're opening offices in New York and L.A. Uh, this summer. Uh, we're already uh, underway recruiting and interviewing already. Um, and we have a, a, a few staff already now based out of, out of the U.S. So it's happening very quickly, and we've, we have uh, engaged initial discussions, early-stage discussions um, at Turner's request uh, to throw an event in the U.S. Um, as a um, mainstay. So... You know, uh, we'll start with a, most likely our first event will be in Q4 of next year. Um, again, we haven't set a date. Um, again, we're still in early stages of discussing everything, but um, it is very serious. And so, 
Um, you know, we wouldn't be opening offices in New York and LA if this wasn't a permanent thing. So we're not going to the U.S. just to experiment or test it out. Um, it would be part of our regular global calendar of events, um, starting with most likely Q4 of next year. Are, you're in a you're going to be entering a busy space. Bellator has has figured out yeah. their niche. PFL signed an ESPN deal, which puts them on the same channel as UFC. To crack this market, to really leave that imprint, do you sort of acknowledge you are competing with all those names, whether it be UFC or not? Are they your direct competitors? No, you, you, you know, I really don't. The market is huge, and UFC has its fan base and does its own thing. And, I'm, I'm, you know, I respect UFC a lot. And uh, but the reality is we have, an entirely, we have an entirely different product. So it's no different than GM versus Toyota. Apple versus Samsung, um, even Coke versus Pepsi or Burger King versus McDonald's. Look, you know, both, you know, in all these situations, both companies thrive um, with a different product, different brand and different approach. And so that's the very same thing with, with, with one championship, you know, um, UFC uh, has taken the, 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 the uh, uh, you know, the, the approach of creating controversy and hatred and anger um, to promote its fights. And for us, we've taken the exact opposite approach in terms of building positive, positive, uh, building heroes who ignite the world with hope, strength, dreams, and inspiration. So it's not an accident that, you know, our roster has 140 world champions out of 550, uh, elite athletes on our roster, but all of our people, all of our athletes are like DJ or Eddie or Sage. They're just good, good people that um, in and out of the cage, people really admire and respect and have incredible life stories, but also are just great role models for society. So it's a whole different approach than anything that's ever been done before in mixed martial arts or in combat sports. And by signing those three big names w- with the UFC background, you're sort of, you're certainly bringing attention to the brand. It'll allow, obviously, your Asian-based athletes to to become known. But are you sort of looking at the American MMA landscape and the other promotions and sort of identifying the not just the fighters you like, but the the character and personalities that could be future acquisitions? Yes, I, I think uh, say uh, signing DJ Eddie. And Sage is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of uh, who we are going to sign this year, next year, and the, and the coming years beyond. Um, we want to recruit the very best athletes in the world, as we always have done. And we already have the largest roster in the world of world champions. So we have 140 world champions across various martial arts um, out of the 550 world-class athletes. And I think um, for us, it's just continuing to uh, always look for that amazing free agents or the best athletes possible. So um, we are, we are really um, at the very beginning of our um, recruitment phase of global superstars across various martial arts. Well, what's interesting is you're, you're certainly recruiting fans by giving an, you know, somewhat of an alternate product or a different product or just a freshened up one. But you, we're talking about recruiting potential free agents to come over. So in that sense, you've got to offer them something different too. And, and Chatri, we know, you know, hearing fighters speak, especially ones under the UFC banner, they haven't been happy for years to the idea of pay, to the idea of the athlete treatment. How important is that from your company standpoint? to improve that area? 
Uh, very important, you know. So, um, look, uh, I think Eddie, DJ, um, and Sage all came over for the right reasons. They came over because they wanted to, to join a, a, a promotion that um, they wanted to join a global promotion that, you know, uh, spread positive a positive message, a global promotion that treats athletes um, with love and respect. Um, a global promotion that doesn't trash talk its own athletes, um, a global promotion that pays top dollar, um, and a global promotion that has uh, the biggest viewership base per event. Um, I think all those things you put together, and why wouldn't you want to join the world's largest stage for martial arts? Why wouldn't you get want to get paid top dollar? Why wouldn't you want to work um, for uh, someone or a promotion who only speaks well of you, who, 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 you know, doesn't trash talk you as an athlete. Um, and then who, who, um, is there to do good, good things for the world, you know, do good in the world. So I think, you know, there's, look, I think there are different strokes for different folks. And there's a big part of the world that wants to be a part of this, whether it's a fan base or athletes or, brands or broadcasters be part of one championships, um, you know, trajectory and positivity. And there are going to be some other athletes and fans who want to be part of negativity. It's just part and parcel of humanity, I guess. Definitely. Uh, Well, let's talk about broadcasting landscape. Obviously the world is uh, changing quickly. We're seeing the rise of streaming apps like the zone. You guys have a deal with bleacher report live but you do have that Turner arm as part of your big contract that you signed, which made a lot of waves. So how crucial is it for you to get live broadcasts in the American primetime window, you know, over the next year of your cards to really make that American impact? That's, that's absolutely right. I mean, so that's the, the, those are the kind of discussions we've been having with Turner executives who were in Singapore uh, recently. Um, and so, you know, we're mapping all of that out. So, you know, you know, if if uh, things go according to plan, we're, we will able to throw uh, our first few events in America and continue that trajectory. Then, um, you know, uh, our long term plan is definitely to see a truly global footprint in terms of our events, uh, our calendar of events every year. So, like I said, we wouldn't be opening L.A. and New York offices if this was a temporary thing. It's we're coming to America uh, on a permanent basis. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, I want to give you a chance to sell. Not not the respect, not all this. Sell the actual Fight Night product because the whispers get around, Chatri. I hear Eddie Bravo. I hear Henzo Gracie say things like, the one in-arena atmosphere is the best in all of MMA. Why is your show different? You know, it's one of these things where you got you to gotta eat an in-and-out you gotta eat an in and out burger to know why it's better than McDonald's, right? It's... it's <laughs> It's, uh, you, you've got to come to a live event, Brian, and then you'll be blown away. So you're right. Eddie Bravo, uh, went on Joe Rogan, uh, podcast right after he attended our event and said, he literally said this quote, quote unquote, you know, I've been to hundreds of USC events and bar none, one championship is a, is the single best event he's ever been in his entire life. Henzo Gracie, same thing. Henzo Gracie been to every event, including pride and, 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 you know, K1 and UFC and whatnot. He said, that one championship produces, you know, the single best stadium event and live broadcast event, full stop in history. 
Um, the list goes on and on. I mean, we have sports consultants come in. We have, you know, uh, uh, sports executives from the U.S. come. Um, the Turner folks came. Like, it just, you know, I'll just tell you that our in-stadium product and our live broadcast um, is just so different from anything that's out there and so interesting and entertaining that, that, that people just are, 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 are blown away. Uh, I'm looking forward to get a taste of that. Can't wait for you guys to make that U.S. debut that we're talking about. Um, as a promoter, you sign these big U.S.-based names. You get an Eddie Alvarez. You get a Sage Northcutt. When they lose their one debuts, is that a panic moment for you? Or is it, is it more, let's relax, there's a long-term vision here? Yeah, no, no, no there's definitely a long-term vision. And look, um, the, 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 the reality is that you know, we have 550 of the best martial artists on the planet, of which 140 are world champions. So, you know, maybe the West, the Western fans don't know how talented and how deep and how elite the one championship roster is. Um, so I, you know, a part of me wasn't surprised that uh, even DJ struggled um, initially. Um, and so... Um, yeah, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's only DJ's one, actually, from all the UFC fighters, right? Uh, so, Eddie Alvarez, uh, Sage Northcutt, Akiyama, Yushinokami um, have all lost their debuts. But again, I, I really believe in them, and I believe in them in the long run. So, I think they'll bounce back. But I think the, the competition was much stiffer than what they had anticipated, but at the same time, I know they're going to bounce back, and 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 I, and I know they're truly amongst the world's best. So, look, um, they've just joined the world's best roster, and so they've got to prove themselves now. And you just announced Eddie Alvarez and Demetrius Johnson will share the August second one championship Dawn of Heroes card from Manila. What else can we look forward to in 2019 as we build toward the big plans we're talking about for next year? Uh, you're just going to see us, you know, we are in discussions with many, many athletes from around the world and we definitely, um, you know, we, like I said, we're at the very beginning of our recruitment process of global superstars. Um, so I think now we have, yeah, we have DJ, we just recruit DJ, Eddie Alvarez, Sage, Yoshihiro Akiyama, Yoshinokami, Vitor Belfort. Um, and there's a bunch of athletes from yeah various promotions that want to join one championship. No doubt. I'm looking forward to this. And look, Chatri, I don't know if everybody knows, you got a pretty incredible personal journey to get to this point. Rags to riches indeed from near homelessness as a child to Harvard degree, a domination of Wall Street, a martial arts background. How much does your story sort of fuel the image in the feel that you're putting out with this promotion? Well, I think, you know, I think there is an authenticity to it. I've been doing, I'm the only CEO of any global major uh, martial arts promotion that trains every day and has trained every day for the last 35 years. Um, the, I, I've, you know, uh, been a student, a fighter, a coach, a teacher, and now a CEO. And, you know, um, our athletes, they are my brothers and sisters. I don't, uh, they don't work for me. I, I work for them. And it's, it's just a very different approach in everything we do. And I do believe that, you know, um, the fact that one champ was born in Asia, the fact that 
martial arts was born in Asia 5,000 years ago, the fact that I'm a lifelong martial artist, um, and the fact that I also had to struggle through poverty and adversity, um, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of commonalities with, you know, myself and our athletes, and that's why there's such a strong connection, there's such a strong love and a mutual love and admiration um, and yeah, I, I would argue that we have the best relationships, uh, with our athletes of any global, uh, promotion wow. in the world. I, I love the story. I love what you're putting out here. We're excited to see where this goes. Chachri Sid Young Tong, one championship. You're coming. You're knocking on that American MMA door. We can't avoid you. You kicked it open. Excited to see where it's going. Thanks for your time, man. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for enthusiasm and your positive energy. I really, really appreciate it. And I love the fact that you've done a lot of homework and research. So thank you to you. And if there's anything to do to help you or CBS Sports, please let me know anytime. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Best of luck in the future. All right. Special thanks to Chatri. Guys, when you're talking about a crowded MMA market in the U.S. in 2019, PFL has an ESPN deal. Bellator's sometimes doing their thing when they let us watch it. Uh UFC is at an all-time financial boom with this ESPN deal. Chatri's vision for one to make an impact is to be different, is to respect fighters, to take away trash talk. I, I, I respect what he's trying to put out there. But guys, do you see it? Do you see one carving into the average casual MMA fan? even with a U.S. card next year, even with maybe getting on Turner? Can it happen, or is it all going to come down to free agents? I think it can happen, because anything can happen. <laughs> but uh, but I think it can happen in another way, just because of the simple fact that, you know, if they hit the market right, they can capitalize where these other companies have fallen off. Like you just mentioned, you can't find Bellator. Uh, UFC has become harder to watch. Um, so I think if they get in the gap and, and, you know, maximize that, that free zone that uh, the, the other organizations have went away from, then I think they can definitely, uh, make some room on this platform. Part of what I talked to Chatri about that you heard there is, look, it's, it's one thing to recruit fans and they're going to have to recruit fans. They're going to have to give fans a new product, have a sprinkling in there of, of faces we know, which they're doing a good job. But you got to recruit fighters at the same time. So, Rashad, it seems like their message is we have a different weight-cutting system, which is fighter-friendly. We want to pay you more. And ultimately, we want to respect you more. And it's clearly Shatri speaking through the lines. And, 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 and we know Dana's history. And if you know you don't live up to your expectations like Peter Lofanane or whatever the guy's name is on the uh, Contender Series last week, Dana White's going to say you're not for our company. But is there an opening there? for fighter recruitment oh yeah huge and, and i will say so just because of the fact that you know um eddie alvarez is a good friend of mine and uh you know they they made sure they took care of him on the recruiting side you know eddie's eddie's gonna be uh when he's done with this deal he's gonna be stepping away with with, with uh you know still being a being able to be part of of whatever they have going on in a big way and uh also being able to be um you know, also financially compensated for his time with the organization after he stops away. And and that's, you know, outside of being a commentator, that's something that the UFC does not have. And I think that um, I think that that will appeal to a lot of fighters who's looking and, and knows that, you know, they're only one fight away from it being the last fight. You know, you can go into the cage and be in the best shape of your life, but you get an injury bad enough. 
then that's the end of your career. And if you are aligning yourself with a company that uh, allows you to do something else or has your back besides fighting, then that that would be more appealing for a lot of more for a lot of more uh, fighters. Hey, I'm I'm all for it. I'm all for them invading the space. I like what they're doing. As long as we don't hear anymore, this is the biggest night in mixed martial arts history. As long as they take that out of the broadcast, that type of hyperbole, I am down with it. I also like that they allow their fighters to fight with the string wrapped around the bicep, like Ultimate Warrior, WWF style. I'm, I know that's like an old Thai thing. I'm in on that. I am down with that. I'd love to see Sugar Rashad put it, try to wrap What's it around a, those 24-inch pythons, you know? Right? I know. I, my arms will look huge, right? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, I did want to bring up what I mentioned there in a joke, though, which was the Dana White Contender Series UFC season opener was last week. Got a lot of attention. What did you guys think about what Dana ultimately did. You had that British fighter. Brandon, how do you say the guy's name? Uh, Loughlin. Peter Loughlin. Loughlin, yeah. whatever. Um, has a good performance. Yes, goes for a takedown in the final 10 seconds. Wins. Has the crowd behind him. Has social media behind him. And Dana's like, sorry, bro. That's not our style. That's not exciting. You don't get the deal. What was that message really? Is that just sort of like a an advertisement for what they're trying to do with this series? Uh, I, I think so. I think I think at the end of the day, what what they want to do is that put the message out there like you're not going to come in here and just win a fight and get a contract. You're not. You, we're, we're not. We're not getting fighters who just want to fight. We want fighters who is going to set the world on fire. We want fighters who can go out there and and must watch TV. And that's where they're recruiting from. They're recruiting guys with that impact already. Guys who go out there and try to you know throw caution to the wind. And and bang, you know, some some guys can go out there and perform that way when they get under those lights. Uh, some guys, they 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 can't. And, you know, those guys that can't, the UFC is like, all right, you you may need a, a more of a detour before you come back this way again. The biggest problem with that, though, just from that night alone, is that Laughlin has that fight, goes for the takedown, whatever. He what he it was the best fight of the night. The main event comes on, though. And this kid, Puna, from Hawaii, puts on a really good performance in the first round. He's throwing bombs. Gets a little tired in the second round. Not throwing as hard anymore. Third round, takedown. And what does he do for those four minutes while he's on the ground? Absolutely nothing. He gets the contract, not that kid. That's my biggest problem with it. I understand what they're looking for. I understand that that kid's got a great story and he can throw bombs. But he also gassed out in the third round. It did absolutely nothing, it's, and they still yeah, gave him a shot. It seemed a little inconsistent there. I I, I wonder – I don't think it was like a personal gr- grudge or maybe just – I feel like Dana weird. entered wanting to send that message, and he picked a fighter to do that to. It was just sort of like, okay, I don't love this guy, so I'm going to send my message now. And ultimately, look, it's his reality show. That show is created to sort of catch fire with another Johnny Walker weirdo and, and sort of, you know, can we get a striker who jumps off the screen? So that's certainly what <laughs> Johnny Walker weirdo. That why you gotta be, why you gotta be on Johnny Walker like that? that man. <laughs> uh, look, he's a talented fighter. That's not where I'm going with this. He's a talented fighter. Look, yeah, I, I want to see him against John Jones. I want to see if there is a ceiling on this guy, but wow, that guy's weird. That is just an my absolute, take on You're that. an absolute hater. Wow. Uh, yeah, hater. all right. Um, I did want to talk real quick. We mentioned last week the whole, we had a little discussion, you know, what if Dana White gets in there on boxing? He had a talk with, Yahoo Sports' Kevin Ioli at length about those goals. He denied that they are in negotiations with buying PBC, but he essentially put it out there that UFC is willing to invade the boxing space any way they can. He said, we would sign fighters and promote them. 
we would be like an old HBO boxing and essentially win purse bids and become a broadcasting home. We would use our new Apex Arena, which you saw the Contender Series debut at, as a production and even in-ring home for any promoter. All that was pretty darn interesting, guys. But I don't think you can do it all. It would be more strategic to pick one avenue to try to invade the boxing space rather than just say, we're going to do it all. I'm kind of over Dana talking about this, to be honest with you. I'm at the point where I'll believe it when I see it because he's been talking about this for like, what, three years now that, oh, yeah, we're getting into boxing. We're getting into boxing. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then we're still talking about the what if possibilities with him and boxers. And I I just want to see him actually do it. If you're going to don't talk about it, be about it. You know? I, th- I think they're going to do it. And I think um, they're going to do it. You know, because they're already planning on on building a facility where they're able to do their shows, you know, their um, contender series shows. So I think once they have that facility built, I think it would. Oh, that's make built. It, they debuted it last oh, week. They, they, oh, they did. But they did. They built it already. They did. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And I love the, the, the idea of it. But I don't know why they only put 1500 seats in there. That to me was a little like basically the idea is we are eliminating any form of a middleman. We can put on our own fights in our own arena with our own production. If you want to use our production for your promotion, we're willing to house that. And that's smart. I'll give them that. But 1500 seats. It's like, come on. Yeah. I, yeah, I know. I know. They, they kind of keep it small and intimate, but, uh, I think that that's where they're going to, they're going to start doing a lot of their boxing, their transition of boxing, you know, uh, you know, cause, cause yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta remember this, you know, Whatever Dana White does, you know, he he's still so into the UFC that he has to, you know, he has to make sure that, you know, when when he's when he's when he's doing his thing that he could uh, be able to have be able to have it his way. Because because the thing about it is like you don't like the UFC is the UFC. That's one business. You know what I'm saying? UFC can't own boxing. The boxing has to be something separate. And I think that they're trying to figure out the whole workings out of, of how they're going to put it all together, you know? Yeah, it is a, it is a, a splintered marketplace. It's going to be interesting. But look, if, like we said last week, if anybody can do it, UFC's got the resources, the money, the power, the brand, the prestige, the trust with the fans. It'll be very interesting. But people seem to still love the idea of boxing MMA crossovers. You say something else, I'll whoop your ass in the octagon, bitch. No, you won't, Floyd. Stop talking. But <laughs> Henry Cejudo who, by the way, also made news this past week. He's hurt. He's going to be out for the rest of 2019. Well, that's going to be interesting how they deal with the flyweight and bantamweight title pictures moving forward. But uh, did you guys care at all with him calling out boxing pound for pound king Vasily Lomachenko and then Lomachenko coming back with a video that showed vicious speed on his uh, on his kicks to the bag? We're not doing anything with this, right? We shouldn't do anything with this. Like, what is this is just crap, right? No, it, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, we can't do nothing with it. But but those kicks that Lomachenko threw, fast. I mean, he threw he, yeah, those some fast, powerful kicks, man. I'll tell you what, to be able to get your leg up like that and that many repetitions and kick like that. Oh, he's been practicing. He's a freak he's athlete. He's been practicing. I know yeah, he, he's been practicing. I know he spars with uh, TJ Dillashaw on the boxing side, but uh, he's a freak athlete. Imagine him be wise with some real training. He's not dumb enough to turn away the boxing money just no. yet. <laughs> he's making way too much with top rank over at ESPN right now, I think. Oh, yeah. He's never, he's not, if they do a crossover, they're going to try and do a Maymax situation where both guys cash out. But yeah. But it would be interesting to see because when it comes to, to footwork – I don't think there's anybody that sets traps like he does. Now imagine him mm-hmm. setting traps like he does with his footwork, with his punches, but being able to throw kicks. Ooh, that would 
be interesting. That would be, that would be brutal. In other MMA boxing crossover news a couple weeks ago, uh, 140 boxing king, Rougarou, you know my guy Regis Progre from New Orleans, he uh, is continuing to call out Conor McGregor and saying, <laughs> I'll do a boxing match and an MMA match with you. And the hook there is that Rougarou's wife is Brazilian and he has uh, done some jiu-jitsu sparring and he's considering legitimately taking an MMA fight down the road. Um, That's not going to happen, but I do love me some Rougarou, so I did want to shout him out there. Come on, you watch this guy, right? You know what yes. I'm talking about. Yes, love him very love much. Him. Indeed. Um, for fight fans only, for the hardcores, for the fans of hashtag old guy fights, uh, we mentioned that Newark card, guys. How about Clay Guida and Jim Miller coming? That's soon? an exciting fight right there. That's that's a see that one, and they've never fought before, huh? How is that possible? They've been how like, is that possible? Circling he, each other for like twenty years, it seems. These guys are cut from the same cloth. Like they, I'm so, I'm so surprised they haven't. This matchup has never happened before. I, it's, man, we're, we're gonna record? we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. But I, how did you feel after that Clay Guida PJ Penn fight? No, no, no. I, I I cannot do PJ Penn anymore. They cannot <laughs> do it either. Thank you, Dana White, for finally saying no more. Thank you. Let's put that behind us, okay? This fight though, they have just enough left in the tank to pour it on each other. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Or what on each other? Some sugar on me in the name of love. <laughs> Thank you very much. All righty then. Hey, guys, let's look ahead to this weekend because um, I like the crap out of this uh, UFC Fight Night Minnesota card that's coming to you this Saturday airing on uh, – is, is that a plus card? No, it's ESPN. Oh, wow. ESPN. Okay, so it shows you the research I did. But um, <laughs> UFC 239, July 6th, we know is a loaded card. So loaded they were able to steal from that, giving us a heavyweight main event that you must see. Francis Ngannou, Junior Dos Santos, likely title implications for the winner. Revisit our collaboration with JDS when Brandon and I sat down with him last month. Check out that podcast interview that's out there on the State of Combat. Guys, this fight promises everything we love about heavyweight MMA. Yes. Yes, indeed. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about this one. You have, you know, JDS versus Nganu, and I can't wait for this one because you know somebody's going to sleep. Somebody is going to sleep. <laughs> and and, and, here, and here, here's, here's what I like about this fight. You know, Nganu went through his thing where he, uh, you know, he had his rise and then he had his, his fall. And then now out of that fall, he's mentally put himself uh together again and in a position where i feel like now he's growing into that hype that was surrounded around the first time you know i think that i think that when he had the hype around the first time i think it just hit him so fast and he was getting being thrown so much that it kind of took him on a whirlwind and then he uh you know he got kind of full of himself as a bit and, and and stopped uh working or stopped thinking that he can be challenged by indies heavyweights and then he got beat couple times and then after he lost he, he readjusted and then he got back to his game plan when you seen that the fight with Kane was was a fight that he went back and he got away from everyone and he really focused on himself and he got back to that that the base of who he was as a person and you've seen the results in that fight and I think he learned something in a fight and I think he's going to carry that over on this fight as well too I think he's going to you know uh be tough for for jds out there yeah well said and and jds told us in that interview we had on the show brandon you remember that uh there will be no takedowns in this fight this fight will be what the fans want so style wise brandon it's 
Wild Slugger and Nganu, and sort of calculated actual boxer in JDS. Yes, he has power, but you know we saw the Ben Rothwell fight. He'll dance. He'll he'll put real footwork and jabs and combos together. Um, that's going to be beautiful. Who's going to win this? Ooh, man, this is one of those fights for me where I really love watching both guys, and it's going to be hard to see one of them lose because they're just so likable. Like JDS is one of the nicest guys we've ever met before. Like he's just so happy. He's always happy to be in there and fighting and in camp. And Nganu is such a great story with his background coming up through the ranks. I really think that the veteranship of JDS is going to win out here. I think he's going to be able to control the distance better. I think he's going to avoid the bombs that Nganu tries to drop because He's just he knows the anticipation. He knows the setups that Nganu tries to use for those punches. So I think on a personal level, I think that that's probably the smarter play here. JDS being plus 210 to me is kind of crazy if you're looking at a betting line. Um, well, here's I the just, thing, though. Even like, look, this is one of those fights, Brandon, sorry to cut you off, that you get excited for because it's like if Nganu doesn't get him in the first four minutes, it could be some deep water situations down the stretch with cardio and all that. But Ngannou gets to everyone in the first four minutes. I mean, shout out to Stipe Miocic. He walked through hell to survive that round. He got rocked. If you're a betting line man, coming off of what he did against Kane, I, like, I, yeah. <laughs> I, think the, I think the smarter bet is that Ngannou finds his chin, then he lingers and gets gassed out and gets outpointed because that's asking a lot of Junior Dos Santos, even though I believe he still has it at 35. But and you're it, you're also forgetting the Derek Lewis fight. He look, I'm gonna yeah, purposely. I am okay, <laughs> purposely. That was not in Ghana that night, and I think he's learned. He learned a, a hard lesson from that. He needs to go after it. He was on this show ahead of his last bout, and he knows it now. He has to go after it. Yeah, I, I you know I, I think that what makes me a little bit nervous for JDS is the simple fact that when you started off your conversation, you said JDS said he's not gonna wrestle. That will be the biggest mistake of JD's career. And no, I can't say career, just just of this fight. It would be a big mistake for this fight just because of the simple fact that I think that the key to beating Ngannou is to gum up this fight, is to make those big, powerful arms work in a capacity in which they're not used to working, which is wrestling, which is keeping somebody off you. You know, when you get your arms filled up with blood from the lactic acid pushing through your veins, pushing through your muscles after you've been grappling and you're a striker, that's a that that's a cause for concern. That's that's what happened to him when you seen him when when he fought Stipe. You know, his arms got filled up with blood just from just the wall and brawl, you know? And and that's another thing. You don't have to take a guy to the ground in order to implement your your grappling on him. You can put him against the wall and make him fight off the wall. And as long as he's fighting off the wall and working an ugly boxing game, it will take a little bit out of uh, Nganu, and it will take some some power off those punches, because you're not just going to just strike with this guy and hope to not get hit and not catch anything significant on the way in. I agree with you. I would, <laughs> I would not be seeking this guy. I would not be looking to engage in round one. I would punt round one and survive. Test that guy's uh, gas tank, and like Bisping said, tuck that chin. It's not open for debate. Uh-oh. The chin has to be tucked all, all times against this man. I'm going to say Ngana wins this, guys. I think he really, really learned and benefited from the loss, the humbling loss to. 
uh, Stipe, but even more that Derek Lewis fight. I think he figured out mentally whatever was the blockage. I think you're right, Rashad. He, he was a little bit too high on himself. He was listening to other people. That humbled him. Dana White pissed all over him publicly like only Dana can do. I think Ngannou is now fighting for himself again, and he knows my strength is this. I'm not trying to be anything else. I'm going to go out there and find your chin. I think he will, and I think he gets a title shot. And we don't know what's going to happen if DC beats Stipe. Is he going to walk away for good? He's been talking about that, or maybe he'll walk away for a little and then entertain a third Jones fight. But uh, we could be looking at Ngannou, Stipe, too, for the title, for all we know, coming up pretty soon. It's interesting. Very, very much so. Um, what else is interesting here, guys, in closing, is this flyweight co-main event. It's Juicy A. Formiga. It's Joseph Benavidez. We all know Benavidez can deliver good sound bites. I used to f*** like you in high school. That's pretty gross. But um, what I'm going to tell you is this. <laughs> Henry Cejudo's out for the rest of the year. UFC still not really getting off the pot and telling you what's the future of this flyweight division. Is this kind of some de facto interim title fight in a way? Formiga Benavidez here? Because Joseph deserves a shot at it, man. He ha- he's in that conversation. We always say, Brandon, the greatest bridesmaids in UFC history, the people who will retire with the legacy that Bisping almost retired with, came this far but did not get the UFC belt, the Dan Hendos, the Alexander Gustafsons. Joe Jitsu's in that conversation. I want to see him get one more chance. If he beats Juicier Formiga, does he get that Cejudo shot? He beats Cejudo, let me remind you. I think he definitely should get it. I mean, just... Like you said, he beat Cejudo. And, and, and when it comes down to it, honestly speaking, um, you know, Benavides is one of those guys who, who just he, – he continues to stay in there and he gets – in, and somehow this dude is getting better still. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like he, he, he gets better and, and uh, you know, he, he's been in there for so long. So I think that um, – I think definitely it, it will be his time and I think that should be the belt that uh, Henry, Henry – um, Gives up. Give, n- well, I mean, fights for first, right? Uh, I don't, I don't, do you think he's going back? I think he would have to. I think you make I mean, him cut one more time because, yeah, because I think you so. can sell Benavidez. He beat him. You can sell that story. Yeah, I, that, that's that's the thing about it. Like, I think that you have to have him go back one more time or else you you would have to do away with the weight class. And that's what our fear has been is that they're going to eventually just say, yeah, we're not interested in promoting a 125 division anymore. I think – this is a great matchup. I think you're right, BC, that this is the top two contenders in the division at this point. If they don't decide to let Cejudo, or Cejudo decides not to defend that belt, I think Formiga's got a good game, though. This is gonna, this isn't gonna be an easy fight for Benavidez. I think this is gonna be an interesting. He he's gonna try and take this to the ground and and make this a, a dirty fight. But I think you're probably right that JoJo is probably on his way up, and he's probably going to get that title that he's been that has eluded him his entire career. I mean, I think there just is like a chip that builds on your shoulder when you've been forever chasing that. You know, we saw Bisping finally break through, and credit to him, man. He had to knock out prime Luke to do that. Not an easy scenario. I just think he gets there because, look, let me remind you, Joseph Benavidez is a winner at life. Got a smoking hot wife. Give him that credit right there. And also, guys, outside of that split decision loss to Sergio Pettis in June of 2018, which, again, you can debate, his only losses are twice at Bantamweight to the great Dan- Dominic Cruz and twice at Flyweight to the great Demetrius Johnson. And one of those, the inaugural Flyweight Championship, was a split decision in which Benavidez fought really well, sent to hell in the rematch. Always want to see him get one more chance, Biggie. Um, anything else on this card that you guys are that's popping out at you? 
Oh, Damian man, Maya against Kayla Harrison's boyfriend? I mean, come on. What do we got here? I mean, yeah. Uh, Damian, Ma- Dam- Damian Maya. I mean, listen, you know, he he's an older guy and he he's in a position where he's picking off the uh the younger guys. And and I like that. I like that for him because he's he's so effective and what he's gonna do is what he always does. Get the guy get get the guy on the ground and uh work that that dominating jujitsu game. Alonzo Menafield and Paul Craig is a great fight, by the way. Menafield's got some power in those hands. Um, Diego Sanchez, Michael Chiesa. No, that's next week. Oh, is it ne- that's oh, next yeah, week. Two thirty nine. Two. I'm looking. At, I'm looking ahead. Two thirty nine. And then you're, of course, uh, BC. Your boy Eric Anders is back. Hey, he bangs. When he, when hey, he fights, but you know I what? I, I like the Eric Anders. You know, is interesting because you know last week and and <sighs> this week we talked about the whole mental thing as well with the fighters and Eric Anders is somebody who. Went and got a um, a, uh, a a a coach, a coach, a mental yeah. coach to help him with with his problems in, in performance. And but we're starting to see a growing trend of fighters now being more vocal about the mental hurdles that come along with competing. And I think that's great for the sport because, you know, I can't tell you how hard it was back in the day when nobody talked about it, and you had to deal with these mental hurdles. You know, back in the day, you felt like a a weirdo for having you know, a sports psych and stuff like that. It was a sign of weakness, but it's good to see that these fighters are starting to understand that in order to compete at the highest, you have to not only train at the highest, but you have to mentally be training as well, too. Indeed, no no question about it. By the way, Rashad, I was peeping your Wikipedia where everything written there is true, by the way. Um, <laughs> people got to remember, I mean, they're going to see Rashad next week when he enters the Hall of Fame, but we mentioned he's got the ability to be in there, but stardom, two headlining pay-per-views that did more than a million buys and five that did at least 630,000 buys. That's, that's moving product, bro. All right. Hey, we, we can't say, Oh, that was because he fought rampage or, Oh, that was, you wouldn't force Griffin to the million buys. I mean, at a time where it was far from automatic that a big fight would do a million buys. In fact, very few ever did for the UFC back then. Yeah, I know, I know. And that 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 was an amazing car too. It had Rampage on it, Vandalin. Oh man, that car was amazing. UFC ninety two. Yeah, two thousand eight. Uh, I I want to close with story time here because uh, we have Rashad Evans and he's going to the Hall of Fame. Take me back, do 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 do. Take me back to April tenth, two thousand four. Rashad, your pro debut, Osceola, Iowa, Danger Zone cage fighting. You fight two times in one night. First against Dennis Reed a first-round submission win via Anaconda Choke, and second via first-round TKO of Danny Anderson. Uh, what the hell is going on in your life back then? Take <laughs> that. That was basically it. I was working at a hospital, and uh, you know, um, I would fight on the weekends. And, and what I would do is I would go and show my – I was a security guard, so I would fight on the weekends and get the videotape or you – know, it, it was a videotape back then – and I'll put it in the DV uh, in, in the um, video player, and all the fi- and all the security guards watch it all, all uh, all week, and I'll be like cool for like a month. But uh, you know that that time I was train I was training with uh you know uh, alongside with Dan Severn, and it was it was a car that Dan Severn had me on as one of his Danger Zone Danger Zone shows that we went to, and uh, it, it was it was kind of crazy because you know back then that's all I fought in was tournaments. You know I, I didn't fight in one single fight. My first few fights were all tournaments. Until I got on the Ultimate Fighter show, so that that was fun for me because at the end of the day, it didn't allow me to sit and make a big mental process out of competing. It was just like, 
okay, that guy went. Now I got to fight him next. I mean, and it you're, was, you're not thinking like, oh, a couple more of these and I'm in the UFC. Oh, a couple more of no. those and I'm in the UFC Hall of Fame. Like this is Weekend Warrior stuff back then? This is, this is Weekend Warrior stuff. Like, the, like I didn't even think I'll ever get into the UFC or anything like that. It was just something that I was just doing for fun. You know, and it was and it was something that it kept me active. And uh, being an old wrestler out of Michigan State, I needed something to keep me active because I was a wrestling coach for the high school kids. But I was still so competitive. I was beating the hell out of the wrestling, <laughs> the kids in the gym. I'm like, listen, I, I'm a coach, not a competitor. I got to <laughs> switch up gears. So I started to do MMA to kind of make it easier so I can be a better coach for those guys. And it, it turned out to me. You know, becoming a UFC Hall of Famer. Heavyweight Sugar Rashad. This is Husky Sugar Rashad, right? Yeah, Husky. And and it's funny because at the time when I got an opportunity to be on Ultimate Fighter Show, uh, Dan Severn just got inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. And he's like, Yeah, you know, they have this show, The Ultimate Fighter. Um, You know, you ever heard of it? And I'm like, Yeah, I've heard (laughs) of it. You know, he says, Yeah, they they have a new season, second season, but it's heavyweights. You're much too small for that, or I will put you in. I'm like, Dude, just, 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 just just put a word in for me. And he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. So I begged him to put a word in for me. And then I put it a word. And then, then I made a video of me, like, like of me training and all and all that stuff. Because that's what you had to do back in the day. And it actually worked. <laughs> it worked, man. They, they gave me a call back. So I was uh, I was super excited nice. about it. But in order to get to heavyweight, I had to uh, just eat macaroni and cheese and mashed <laughs> potatoes at night. I, I would. I, that's, I, 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 I hated eating. I hated Damn. eating. This guy's like, was, I, I should have been a middleweight all along. I, was, I started, when I first started bulking up to get to um, heavyweight, I started off at 195. Oh, my God. And then I got to, like, 225, and I felt like I was just going to, like, blow up and oh. pop. And then I got to the Ultimate Fighter show, and Dana White was like, you're too, still too effing small. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's what I got. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Great. I love it. I love it. Story time with the great Rashad Evans. Uh, reminder, folks, next week is the big one, UFC 239. The UFC Hall of Fame inductions where Rashad goes in and we have you covered wire to wire on CBS Sports. Check out Rashad and myself on CBS Sports HQ, breaking down the fights, previewing the action of what's to come. And we got a lot coming at you with the State of Combat podcast, an exclusive one-on-one with Amanda Nunez next week that we did at the ATT gym. A lot of breakdown on how much more she wants to fight heading into this big one against Holly Holm, whether she believes she's already the GOAT, what's left to accomplish. We are going to have a lot of bonus audio on site as the three of us are there in Vegas, this should be a fun week. Rashad, are you bringing the? Is the family coming? Is are we going to have this? Coming. Is, yeah, they, they, they're coming, man. You're going to see everybody. Love it, indeed. Wow. Hey, revisit our state of combat boxing podcast this week. Great chat with Freddie Roach, getting you fired up for Pacquiao Thurman on July 20th. Rashad, are you a boxing guy? I love boxing. You you think Pacquiao can beat this Keith one time Thurman? I mean, this is a, this is a hard ass fight for Ooh, a year old man. Keith Thurman is is. I don't think so. I don't think so. Keith Thurman is on another level right now. It's this is going to be this is biting off a lot, but man, I can't. I mean, seriously, for a small guy, Pacquiao at forty, still doing it on this level, it's insane. It's insane. He's got calves the size of of Brandon's head. It's insane. Yes. All right. That's the show for you guys this week. Enjoy the heavyweights at UFC Minnesota. For Brandon Wise, for the great Sugar Rashad Evans, it's your boy BC. Follow us at State of Combat. Uh, you guys got any messages for the people on our way out here? We out.